My name's Nick. I am uh, one of the elders here. You might call me the, the lead pastor, lead teacher. Um, we are going to get into God's Word here. Uh, you could turn to Luke 1. We're going to read verse 39 down to verse 45. If you don't have a Bible, these gentlemen walking the aisles will get one for you. Um, and as always, um, if you don't have one, Merry Christmas. You can keep it. That would be wonderful. And if you want to give it away, uh, someone you know, let's spread, uh, let's spread the Word of God. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 1, verse 39, and we're going to read down to verse 45. But before I do, keep your finger there, I actually wanted to just read you something from Psalm 143, and you can just listen to this. Um, this is just because I was in the back there. And, you know, wrestling in my heart, just trying to get myself ready and going, God, you know, fill me, use me, help me. Uh, I don't know how you approach um, Sunday mornings, and maybe it's a little different because you're not preaching. Uh, but I would hope that we're all wrestling with that. God, o- open, open us up to what you would say and, and, um, and help us in this. And I, I just read where I was at. I kind of sl- slowly read through the Psalms uh, pretty regularly and... Psalm 133, just open it up and read this, and it, and it just uh, it struck me, and I wanted to begin here with this, even before we read Luke. It says this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. That was the one that struck me. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. And here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. Oftentimes, especially in America, we have this entertainment culture, and so we can come into church and we can think, what it's about is entertain me. This better be good. This better be, you know, we better have some, some you know, fog machines or fancy lights, or the preacher better be entertaining, or I'm, going, I'm, I'm leaving. And we miss the, the wonder of what's happening here. That, that though we are not righteous and no one is righteous before Him, God is not now today entering into judgment with us, but calling us towards Himself, leaning in towards us to speak to us in His mercy. Um, so I, I just I always want us to have that posture of humility as we approach Him in His Word. We don't deserve to be here, you know? What grace, what a blessing to be here. Even if I blow this sermon. Even if I'm not everything you wanted in a pastor, we get to come in and hear from the living God. Isn't that awesome? All right, let's let's uh, let's draw near here this morning to Him and uh, listen to what He would say to us. Luke one, verse thirty-nine. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray, guys. Is this just a story, Lord? Is this just a nice little holiday reflection along the lines of a Christmas carol or Polar Express or something? No way. Jesus, this is... um, This is you coming into this world to rescue, to save. And I'm praying, God, as we get again this morning back into your story, that you would draw us into it. I'm praying especially for those people that are off trying to write their own narrative. Make their own fame, their own name for themselves. I'm praying, God, that you would draw them back to the name above all names, to the greatest story. Yours. God, you love us even though we wander and you're calling us home. I pray that you would use this service to, to help us, God, to find our, our joy, our treasure, our purpose, our significance in you. Would you use, use uh, my words here and, and God, would you open eyes, open hearts, open ears. Make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I assume that we've all, at, at one, one time or another, um, obviously, gone looking for a movie, right? With our family or friends or something, especially holiday time. You tend to have a little bit, sometimes, uh, a little bit more time on your hands. And so you're, well, nowadays, back in the day, anybody remember actually going into, I mean, this is a weird concept, but going into like a blockbuster, an actual building that had movies where you could walk the aisles? Nowadays, it's uh, going to be Netflix or it's going to be all these virtual things, Redbox, and you're kind of flipping through the virtual aisles, if you will. And we're looking for a good one, right? You're looking for something that you think you'll enjoy. And one of the ways that we uh, will try to kind of discern whether, whether we think we'll like it, whether it'll be good, is by looking at who's in the movie, correct? So the producers know this, and they try to help us out at this point. There are always some, some bigger names, if you will, some, some stars, that, and they'll put those names on the front cover, you know? You're looking and you see, you see maybe three names up there and you're looking and you go, okay, I, I know that one, I know her, I know him, whatever. This movie's going to be good. And even though there are hundreds of people acting, probably, usually, to some capacity in these movies, there are usually just that, that few that are highlighted on the front. These are the ones that, 
people know. These are the ones that if the movie, for whatever reason, wins an Oscar, right? They're going up there and they're receiving it and the crowd's going wild and everyone's leaning in to hear what they're going to say. And these are the ones that they can't even hardly go out to, to eat, right, without cameras flashing and, and, and people asking for their autograph or, you know, ladies are swooning, whatever it is, you know. And um, these are the people that everybody knows. These are the stars. These are the big names. And then when you finish the movie, I don't know if you've noticed this, but typically, in the line of credits, right, there's that, there's that, there's that single line that's kind of moving nice and slow, big font, and you can kind of see the big names that were there, right? And then they've got to show a little love to the rest of the, the rest of the cast, you know, those other hundreds. And so then they go to, they break it down to the double column, small font, hyperspeed, that even if it was in slow-mo, you still couldn't read these people who were actually a part of the story, but yet, no one knows, right? And here is my question for um, you as we begin. How would you feel if you're just one of the hundred? One of the hundreds where you're like, Mom, check it out. I was in this movie. You know, and, you're, and then you're looking, you're looking for your name at the end. You're looking for some sense of, hey, I was in this. And it's just speeding by and no one even notices. You know, we all, I think, want to be that name on the cover, right? We all want to be front and center in some ways. We, we all want to feel like our life is significant, like we've made it to the top, like, like we've done something worth something. You know what I'm saying? We want to be that name. And yet, I, I, I don't think anyone here is there. Right? We're not, we're not there. We're, we're, we're the, we're the, uh, you know, we're the people that we don't even get invited to the Oscars. We're in the movie. We're not, we're not invited. We're the people that when we go out to dinner, no one, no one stops to say anything. We just get our meal, pay our bill, and go back to our apartment. <laughs> you know? Nothing fancy, nothing glorious, and, you know, no one's recognizing us. We're just a bit player, you could say. We're just the supporting cast. We might help prop up the glory and fame of another, but it's not ours. We're like the curtain boy at a theater. We're just kind of, we're back in the shadows, and we're, we're kind of opening up the curtain to display someone else. Nobody knows that we're even there. Nobody cares. We're there in the back, and they're just saying, hey, listen, just open up the curtains so we can see the real show, the real star, the big name. That's how we feel. That's how we live our lives. And, and, and we, I wonder, how do you feel about that? Do you like being in the shadows? Do you like not being a star? Do you like not having your name on the cover? In our text, here's the piece that struck me the deepest. For John and Elizabeth, it's not a drag to be the bit player, to be the supporting cast, the curtain boy for Christ. Rather, it's a high privilege and joy. (laughs) They find overwhelming joy (laughs) in passing the mic. 
they find overwhelming joy in opening the curtain. We want you to hear Him. We want you to see Him. It's His name, His show. He's the star. And I can't believe we get to open the curtain for Him. What an honor. What a privilege. What a joy. As we move through our text, we're going to look at three things. First, the grace of another greeting. The joy of surrender and the prerequisite of the Spirit. Now, I know usually I give you a handout. Forgive me. I took holiday vacation on that one, okay? <laughs> uh, so if ever you are interested, these things, I do end up putting them online um, under, the, under the sermon that's there, the title. You can actually download everything, most of what I would say right here. Um, but yeah, my apologies on, on the no handout this morning. So those are going to be the three things we're going to look at as we walk through this text. The grace of another greeting, the joy of surrender, and the prerequisite of the Spirit. But as we do this, I have one significant hope and prayer. Um, Considering that this is the new year, right? We're we're, we're kind of entering in. We're on the threshold of 2016. And and I realize that a lot of times um, people at this point in the year tend to be a little bit more than normal, uh, pensive or, or reflective. We're kind of thinking about, how, how did the last year go? And what am I hoping to do with the year to come? We're just more open to, to evaluating and planning and maybe setting goals. And, and I'm, I'm praying that John and Elizabeth and our text are going to serve us in evaluating, planning, and, and, and goal setting for 2016. You see, I... I Forget the goals. I want to lose a couple more pounds this year, you know? Eat a few less Skittles or whatever it is. Forget the I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I don't know, you could climb up a couple more rungs in the corporate ladder or, you know, earn a couple more bucks. Forget those kind of goals for a moment. Some of those are, are, are valid and that's fine. But let's go with John and Elizabeth here and let's say, in 2016, Here's what I hope to see in my life. I hope to see that every aspect, whether it's my, my weight or my money or my job or my, whatever it might be, every aspect of my life brought into submission to His story. Written back in to the grand narrative, the one that highlights the name above all names. I want in all of my life for Him to be seen, for me to be the curtain boy wherever I'm at, for the display of His glory. So I'm hoping that John and Elizabeth can lead us into 2016 in a way that would move in that direction. Let's do this. Uh, first, the grace of another greeting. We, uh, we begin with Mary in our text. She just received word from Gabriel back up in verse 36 that her relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, right? So Gabriel's telling Mary, hey look, 
Elizabeth also conceived a miraculous child. So naturally, in our text, what do we see? When Gabriel leaves, Mary's like, I gotta get to her. I mean, I'm feeling alone and a little scared and awestruck about all this. I want to go to someone else who understands it. I want to see what God is up to. So we read this in verse 39 and 40. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, before we go any further, let me say something about this meeting because it's a very significant moment in uh, the narrative in Luke. Up to this point, it's been, it's been uh, the story of, of, of John the Baptist, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Jesus, Joseph, Mary. Joseph hasn't shown up, but we know he's there. Um, Jesus or Jesus and, and Mary, kind of in parallel accounts, side by side. This is the first point in the story where those two narratives, John and Jesus, start to interact with one another, start to come together. Now we see Mary and Elizabeth and the two boys in the womb interacting. So, it is um, now no small coincidence I think that in our narrative, there's all this emphasis placed on the greeting, okay? There's this greeting, right? You saw it there where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary talking to Elizabeth, greeting her. And if you recall from last week, I, 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 I referred to kind of the greeting of grace that Gabriel gave to Mary, Right? There was this greeting back up in, in, in the verses prior that Gabriel gives to Mary, and it's kind of troubled her. Remember this? This is where Mary's going, Why am I, who am I to get this kind of favor, this kind of grace from a holy God? How is that coming to me? This greeting of grace came to Mary. And last week, we all, it all was about just how that troubling grace moves to amazing grace as we receive it by faith. And so what began in Mary's heart is trouble. How could this be when she received it just turned into this, turns into this explosion of joy? But here's what happens. That greeting that Mary received, now starting to spread, Right? She's going to Elizabeth now, and she is greeting Elizabeth. And what we see is the same kind of stuff happening. This greeting is going viral. And we'll see later, Elizabeth is kind of troubled by this. Who am I to have the mother of my Lord in my presence? And Elizabeth is awestruck. And this is what happens when the greeting of grace, when God's grace comes to us, right? It starts to spread. It starts to go viral. When it comes to you and you receive it, is that not the truth that when you, when you have embraced what He has done for you by faith, that now, just like uh, Chris was, was saying, and the high schoolers that are doing, and Josh and others, we want to go out and, and, and spread this greeting. We've got to tell more people about it. We've got to invite them in. There's that parable, it's awesome, in Luke 14, where, where you got these, these, these guys who are going out to the highways and the byways, right? And, and they're, they're calling, we don't care if you're crippled, if you're lame, if you're broken, if you're poor, whatever it may be, the invite to the king's banquet is for you. 
So this greeting of grace we see kind of pictured in our story, starting to spread, starting to spread, that the, the, the message of the Savior coming to Mary is not just for Mary, it's for the world. And it's for you. I mean, he's still, he is still greeting people with grace, even today, even in this room. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's what he's doing God, even now, through my voice and His words here in this text. He is, he is calling. He's saying, I am not against you. I am for you. I want you to come to myself, repent, and receive. This grace is for you. Now, I want to move uh, forward in our text, because we'll start to see how this greeting of grace in verse 41 starts to set ablaze a joy in John and Elizabeth. Okay, As Mary is, is speaking with, with the Lord in her womb, John and Elizabeth start to erupt with joy. And here's where we move into this. Uh, this will be kind of the, the major point for the, for the morning, the joy of surrender. First, we see John's response to the greeting in verse 41. First part of it says this. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And we know from verse 44 that this just wasn't kind of like a a leap of discomfort or something. Verse 44 says the baby leaped for joy. I mean, this is a dance going on in Elizabeth's womb as Mary is greeting her. John leaps for joy. And what we could note here is that even from the womb, John is beginning to fulfill the ministry that was prophesied of him back up in verses 14 through 17. He is uh, what we might call a, a prenatal prophet. Okay, already in the womb, his ministry is is going on. (laughs) It's happening. He's starting to fulfill. Consider this with me very quickly. In verse 14, it was said of this child that he, uh, it was said of him that you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at, at John's birth. Joy, gladness, rejoicing. Well, here, even in the womb, those sorts of things, that sort of explosive happiness is, is, is making an appearance. Well, verse 15 says of, of John that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so here you've got the filling of the Spirit that's taking place and John doing some work in his mother's womb. Verse uh, 16 says that he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Well, this is, this is awesome. Elizabeth later explains that she knew, she knew Mary was the mother of her Lord. How? This is what she says. This is, how she, this is the reason she gives. For, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, The baby in my womb leaped for joy. In other words, 
because this baby leaped, because John moved in my womb like that, he turned me towards the Lord. I knew the Lord was here. John's ministry starting to fulfill it even now, even with his mom. Or verse 17 says this, he will go before him, go before the Lord. So John is going to go before the Lord. Well, what, what's in our text, right? Six months older uh, than Jesus is John. He's going before the Lord, quite literally preparing a way for him. So John, the prenatal prophet, already beginning in the womb to fulfill what was spoken of him. And there's one more thing we could say. It's pretty cool. From Malachi 4.2, uh, there's kind of this connection that we see between the leaping for joy in the womb that John is doing and the leaping for joy that was prophesied uh, with reference to his forerunning ministry. Malachi 4.2 says this, The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Same word there, and many commentators make that connection because John's all over the context there in Malachi. That the Son of Righteousness is rising in our text, if you will. Jesus, already from the womb, shining forth light. And John, already from the womb, starting to leap like calf being released, like a calf being released from its stall. Joy in the freedom that is found in this. Lord, this Savior, this Christ. Now, there are, uh, I won't go here for the sake of time, but there are radical implications um, important for our day and age regarding abortion in our text. I don't think it requires much for me to even point it out. That by saying John is a prenatal prophet, by saying that his ministry is already being begun fulfillment from the womb. The idea that, that in, in the majority of states in America at this point in his life, in his ministry, the forceps of a doctor could still come in and literally crush his joy and put an end to his ministry is appalling. This is, it's appalling. And we have to stand against cultural orthodoxy at this point and hold the biblical orthodoxy, right? The personhood, even ministry, begins in the womb. From your mother's womb I knew you, God says. I think that was to Jeremiah, if I'm not mistaken. Chris would know. Is that right? Or was it Isaiah? I, can't I think it's Jeremiah. But yeah, it's all over. It's all over the place. And we see it here with John. But, moving on. Returning to our, our text, um, there's this intriguing thing that, that I want to I make note of. This joy that John finds, this leaping, this rejoicing, as I alluded to in the introduction, it is sourced not in his own greatness, but in the greatness of another. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? We think of those guys that, that, you know, when they, when they, you know, whatever it is, the big tournament or they get that raise, or the joy is in, I did it, my greatness. 
And we're looking at John here and we're saying, wait, he's leaping for joy. He's overwhelmed with joy. He, he, he's dancing in the womb because someone greater than him is here. <laughs> we think, that's weird. You think you'd be kind of bummed when you see someone that's greater than you. Like, I wanted to be the star. I wanted to be the name. You tell me he's the name? Come on. So there are two miraculous sons present in this story. And John is saying, the older is going to serve the younger. You are going to be far greater than me, and I love it. I get to be the curtain boy for my king, and that causes me to leap for joy. He's headed to the Oscars. I get to be the nobody that rolls out the red carpet so he can walk. I'm preparing the way for him, the big name, and I get to be close. He's he's stoked. He already feels this way in the womb. And he continues to express express such uh, sentiments many years later. I wanted to read this for you in, in John 3, 26 through 30, because it's so awesome. What he begins here in the womb, finding joy in the greatness of Christ. It's just, it just continued on in his life as we read here. John 3, 26 through 30. John's disciples came to him and said, now listen to this, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, namely Jesus. So let me read that again. Rabbi, Jesus, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's over there and he's baptizing and all are going to him, Jesus. But John answered what? Oh, we better, we better, you know, we better send more, more flyers out in the mail and work up our ministry so we can get the people back. We got to get more flashy stuff. No, he didn't say any of that. He didn't say any. Here's what he says. Verse 27. John answered, "A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven." You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride, namely Jesus, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands, so the friend now is John, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Do you hear what he's saying? Let me sum it up for you. (laughs) All his disciples are a lot like us. They're saying, oh my gosh, we're we're losing numbers here. (laughs) They're all going to Jesus. He's got a better show going on in town. And John says, you know what? That's the point of my life. The bridegroom gets the bride. I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. I'm saying, everybody, go to him. And as I watch them stream away from me towards him, my joy is complete. I exist to point, to direct to him. My life for his story. I can't believe I get to be in this. 
for him. You hear that? Isn't that amazing? We live like that. Wow. Let's move to Elizabeth, though, before we kind of evaluate a little bit more of our own lives. Because it's actually with Elizabeth that this idea of the surprising joy, what I'm calling the surprising joy of the supporting cast, (laughs) Uh, it's with Elizabeth that that really started to make an impression on me. (laughs) All the joy that's found in just being the supporting role. I'll show you. I want you to think with me for a moment. Put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes. and Let me grab water here real quick. Put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes and what we know of her story so far. She's been barren, right? For years and years. Been a source of, of reproach for her, especially among the Hebrew people. God's not where God's abandoned you. What's wrong with you? Why are you dealing with this curse, this emblem of the curse? Barrenness. All this reproach. Subject, I'm sure, uh, or for her, it's, her, her life has probably been subject to many nights of, 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 of tears and prayers and cries for help, all with no response. And then, wonder of all wonders, in the twilight of her life, God grants her miracle of conception. She's going she's gonna to bear a son. And she says this in verse 25, in her joy, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God has done so much wonderful things for me. Look at this. He is giving me a child. Now think about this. Don't you think the temptation would be there to start making this child, the thing you've longed for for so many years, Start making this child your pride, your joy, your everything. I mean, mommies do this, do they not? Just, my child's going to be the best. My, this is, I can't wait to see him or her succeed. I'm, I live for this little one. Right? And there's something great about it, but it can become wrong when it starts to take what God has given us and write our own story with it. Right? So she's got this, this amazing gift from the Lord. And you would have to think that it becomes, he'd be, he would become very important to her, John. And her newfound motherhood, what a treasure. But here's, here's the amazing thing. When news comes to her of another son who will be greater than her own, and another mommy who will be more highly honored than her. She's not threatened. She's not ready to compete. She doesn't go all out mommy wars on Mary and Jesus. What does she do? She rejoices. <laughs> Read this. She exclaimed, this is verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then down in verse 45, Blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She just 
pouring out praise for Mary and her child. There's no sense of competition. No sense of uh, kind of being bummed. Like, I thought I was going to be the one. I thought my kid was going to be. You've got to put yourself here for a moment. I mean, don't, don't you relate to this where it's like, Y'all want to be the, the mommy that, that gets that bumper sticker that I see on people's cars, right? Proud parent of an honor roll student or whatever it is, right? You see those? I want my kid to get the honor roll. I want the bumper sticker. My kid's going to be better than your top of his class. I want to tell all my friends about it. But here Mary receives news. Hey, you know, he's going to be honor roll. Your kid... Straight C's. Oh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth receives news. Straight, straight C's, you know. Average. We're going to do average here. Maybe a little bit above average, Sean was, right? We'll go B's with him. But it's just, oh, okay. All right. We would kind of be like, oh, okay. Uh. You know, this child over here, he's going to have to buy a separate cabinet for all the trophies. Your boy, he's going to be, he's going to be the water boy. He's going to give that child water so he can succeed on the field. You feel good about that if you're the mommy? You feel ready to rejoice? Oh God, thank you, I'm even here. Isn't that amazing? I think it's incredible and it, 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 it impressed me deeply. But it goes, it goes even more than this. It goes even deeper in Elizabeth than just this. Uh, in verse 43, I mean, no, make note of her question here. It's incredible. Why, she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You hear that? Far from being troubled that that Mary and and her son are going to be in some ways honored, and obviously I'm not saying Mary is is being honored in the same way. She's honored because she's holding the Lord. But still, that that this mommy and her child are, are going to be lifted up doesn't trouble her. What troubles her is the fact that she even gets to stand in the presence of, of this mommy of her Lord. Is that, anybody think about that? Why am I even allowed to be here? I, I am so overwhelmed with the grace shown to me that I even get to be in the presence of the mother of my Lord. Just the humility just the awe of getting to be, just the joy of getting to be the curtain girl, the curtain boy for, for his story. She's not pushing her way out into the spotlight. She's so happy to be back. I just want to see what God's going to do. I want to be in his story. Both John and Elizabeth have caught on to one all-important truth. This is God's story. This is God's story. His name is on the outside of the cover. He is the star. He's not supporting cast in our feature film. We are supporting cast in His. That's why John takes what God has given him these disciples or whatever, his ministry, and he's so happy to surrender it back to the name above all names. Not making a name for himself, but but adding to the name of Christ. 
and Elizabeth, not taking this family and this newfound role of motherhood, this child, and, and going off and trying to make a name for herself, but surrendering it happily to the name above all names. We're going to be in His story. Not writing some little indie film over here that nobody's going to want to read when it's all said and, or watch when it's all said and done. Right? And though such a surrendering, and search your heart, I think this is true, though such a surrendering might initially feel like a death to us, letting it go might feel like a death, right? We come to find that giving ourselves fully to the Lord is a lot less like dying and a lot more like coming alive. Do you hear that? It's a lot less like sorrow and a lot more like joy. We actually, human beings, we actually come into our own when we come under Him. It feels like death, perhaps. I'm holding on. My child, my story, my ministry, my job, my career. My stuff, my name, holding on to it. It could feel like a death to let it go. But I'm telling you, it feels a lot more like coming alive when you actually let it go. It feels a lot more like joy when you let it go. It's so freeing to finally come back into your proper place in the universe and stop trying to be God. It's amazing. There is a freedom in it. There's a life in this death. There's a joy in this surrender. John and Elizabeth illustrate for us what ought to be true for all reality. All reality. Subject to God, Father, Son, Spirit, right? Hear this in, in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by Him, this is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is center stage in the universe. All things created for Him. By Him. He's upholding all things. They're upheld in Him. He's be- it's, just, it's so silly when we try to get in that spotlight. Take His stage. All the universe orbits around this One. Visible, invisible. Everything. And yet... We know there's a rebellion, right? There's this strand of rebellion that runs in the human heart since Adam said, no, no, no. I want to be the name. I want to do this. It's about me. And this is the reason, contrary to what we might think, for all of our sorrow, we get bigger than we ought to be. 
and it kills us. Think about Christmas for a moment with me since we're just coming off of it because Christmas really is God entering back in to reorder things around His Son, right? And I was just thinking about it. The scene that we see, you know, the nativity scene and everything actually pictures for us quite profoundly everything coming back into orbit around the sun. You've got in that moment, well, the Magi showed up just, sorry to burst your bubble, probably a few year or more even later, uh, but regardless, let's take the nativity for a moment. You've got Jew, right? The Jews in, in the shepherds that are coming to the sun. Okay? So the Jews are coming. You've got the Gentiles in, you know, whatever time has passed, coming to this still probably newborn child. There are these, these foreign men from other kingdoms coming in. The Jew and the Gentiles coming to the Son and honoring Him. And then you have what? The angelic host. These invisible beings now, now, now singing out praise to who? To the Son. And then you have even the, the cosmic, the created order in the fact that the, that the, the star is kind of following and landing and, and, and orienting itself towards the sun. All things are kind of are coming around him in this Christmas scene, picturing for us what God is going to do. He's going to reorder the disarray that took place in the fall. And so I want to ask here, though, before we move one step further in that, where are we? Where would we be in, in our little nativity scenes? Where are we in the midst of all this? If the Jew and the, the Gentile and, and the, 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 the angelic and the cosmic and John and Elizabeth are all starting to come back around the sun. They're all starting to return to their proper place in the universe. Where are we? Where are we? Are we off somewhere over here with what God's given us? You know, like those, like those lepers who beg Him for something. Please heal us. And then when He does, they're just gone. Writing their own story. Or are we like the one that returns and writes what He's given us back into His story? And giving Him praise. Thank you. I want to use it all for you. And so consider with me the, the, the various aspects of, of, of your life. And I'll just take a few here. Where are you in your relationships? In your relationships with others. Relationships that God has given you. The people that you rub shoulders with. Whether it's your spouse or your children or your co-workers or whatever it might be. God puts us in people's lives to lead us to Him, right? We're in a greater mission, a greater story. But what often happens, we try to spin the people in our lives to get them to orbit around us. Look at me. Hear me. Love me. Why aren't you filling me? Here's how I try to think about my life. I, I, I want to think about, in, my, in terms of my relationships, with my words and my deeds... Am I with them kind of dropping breadcrumbs that will lead whoever is in my life to the foot of the cross? I want to have the aroma of, 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 of the crucifixion, of, of the, the grace and the love of my Lord in my words and in my deeds. I want them not to see how great I am, but how great He is. 
Are we taking our relationships and writing them back into His story? Consider, consider um, our work. God puts our hands to, to, to work, right? Gives us a calling, a vocation. Whether, whether you're, you're in the office with your associates or you're in the family room with your children. This is vocation. This is calling from God. And what often happens with our work is we start to find our identity in it, right? We start to think that if I succeed there, my name's on the cover. And so we labor, you know, we might posture or politic or whatever at the office to try to get up that ladder. Or even with kids, like I was talking about with Elizabeth, sometimes we can, we can parent our kids so that they look good when we go out in public, so that we look good when we go out in public. And people go, what techniques do you use? You are a wonderful parent. You know, and we, tell me more. Are we, are we doing our work and, and raising our kids and these things that God's called us to? Are we doing it so that we might be seen and praised or so that He would be seen and praised? That's the question. Are we trying to write our name in the lights or are we writing our story back into His? The name above all names. You think about your money and your possessions, the things that God gives us, and I wonder, are we writing these things back into His story? If you get a Christmas bonus, which I don't know if anybody did, but if you did, would you even think to pray about how God would want you to use it? Or does it just go right into funding your own feature film? Here's what I want next in my story. I want a new car. I want a new, I want a new, you know, whatever it might be, vacation. I want a new suit. I want people to look at me. I mean, I know this is Silicon Valley. This is what, this is the story, this is the narrative that's playing out there all day long. Get me the new stuff so I can have the image. So people can think I'm something special. I'm the name. Here, here's, here's, here's what we read, and we've been reading it. This is Second Corinthians 8-9. This is an amazing Christmas text, but consider this when you're thinking about your money and possessions. Though He was rich, Jesus, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Does that text cross our minds? I know it does for some of you, because I see the way you give your stuff away. And it's amazing, but does that cross our minds? Are we saying, how can I use the riches you give me to show the glory of your grace to others? We rob ourselves of joy when we try to take the stage. We think we're saving our life while we actually are killing it. And when we think we're losing our life, if it's for His sake... We start to find it. We start to come alive. We start to feel this joy that John, Elizabeth, and others start to feel as they come back into order around the sun. Curtain boys for His glory. No longer trying to steal it, but happy to just to, to, to leap in that light. Now, third point, and this is where we'll close. 
the prerequisite of the Spirit. It's important to note that what I have just pleaded for us to do, namely, surrender all things in our lives to the Son and find joy in His glory and the glory of His grace and that we're able to be in His story. All of that, impossible. Can't do it. No one in this room can do it apart from the Spirit of God. By nature, we live these imploding lives. By nature. Kind of like black holes. There's this gravity where we pull things in and we keep looking and we keep wanting everything to be about us and we can't get out of it until Christ, until the Spirit comes in and start to move us outward and upward and then we start to see in His glory our joy. I'll show you where that's at in in our text. This is in uh, verse 41 where we see that Elizabeth's joyful exclamation and the loud cry of praise for Mary that I was so amazed by, it erupts from her heart only after, only after she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, second half. Filled with the Holy Spirit, then declares, you see, this isn't something that naturally resides in Elizabeth or anyone else. But God here is showing that, listen, the Spirit is coming in to reorder humanity. No one, right, will call Jesus Lord as Elizabeth does except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 And so the Spirit's coming into the story. But we know that what we see here is an anticipation, this kind of filling of the Spirit that takes place here in Luke 1, is just an anticipation of what's coming in full, the outpouring of the Spirit that will come after Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. He's fully accomplished this reordering, if you will, and He pours out the Spirit. Here's what Christ is going to do in His life. He's going to reorder things. He's going to be put back on center stage. If you were to keep reading in Colossians 1, 18-20, I won't read it now, but you see that that preeminence that He enjoys in creation and should have enjoyed from all of us, He regains. He regains in redemption. He regains by coming down, going to the cross, coming up, pouring out His Spirit and bringing us back in. Now, let me show you. How is God going to get you and I back into His story? How's He going to do it? How's He going to get you and I back into His story? He's going to take on flesh this Christmas. He's going to take on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He's going to live the life You and I were supposed to live, didn't live, could never live. In perfect surrender to the will of His Father. Do you remember Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours be done. 
every aspect of his life for the glory of his Father's name as a man. He is fulfilling what we were called to do. He is living the life we were called to live. Perfect surrender to his Father. To the end. But though he walked that walk perfectly, God didn't take him first to the throne. He took him to the cross. Though he lived the life we were called to live, he would die the death we deserved. He would suffer for our sins for our rebellion, for our straying and and trying to write our own story and get God out of this thing. He would suffer under the wrath of His Father for us. This is what is happening at the cross. The One to whom all things should be subject actually subjects Himself to all things. What's pictured at Christmas and that's fulfilled fully more, or more fully in His resurrection and ascension actually first has to undergo a radical, radical uh, disarray upon the cross. Here's what you see. You see the celestial world, right? The star that was over at Bethlehem. The celestial world goes dark while He's on the cross. He's subjecting Himself to, to all things at this point. And the angelic, right, that are singing at His birth and ought to exist to protect and preserve and to praise Him are held in abeyance at the cross. Right? And the Jew and the Gentile that are supposed to start ordering themselves around Him in praise and adoration are at the cross raging against Him. Coming at them with all man at him with all manner of depravity. We are trying to kick him off the stage. We are trying to write him out of our story. But while we're doing that, God. Jesus, the Spirit, in a wonder of grace, are actually writing us back in to His story. Colossians 1.20, this is Him making peace by the blood of His cross. Dying in my place so that I can come back in. You see? So what happens? Rises from the dead. Ascends to the right hand of the Father. Pours out in full now the Holy Spirit. So now what we saw anticipated happening in the church age. The Spirit coming. The Spirit of Christ. And what is He doing but now taking up residence in us and living His life again in and through us. Us. So now we start to get a taste of this. It's not natural to find joy in someone else's name in the lights, someone else's name on the cover. But we were created to enjoy His glory. We were created to worship in His light and leap like calves being released from the stall. 
It's what we were created for. And so he's bringing us back into it. The son now in me saying, look at the father. Isn't it awesome? Isn't he awesome? Isn't his grace amazing? You start finding yourself willing to let go of things you've been white knuckling for so long. And when you let it go, it doesn't just fall to the ground dead. It actually takes flight like a bird. All these things in your life, like my family or my job or my, my money, you let go of it, takes on new meaning. It becomes a part of a larger story, larger mission. Isn't that amazing? We start to want to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And we follow Him even to, if God would will it, the cross, right? Take up your cross and follow me, He says. By the Spirit, because he has made peace with us and the Father by his blood, he comes in with a greeting of grace and said, Listen, there is no joy in trying to be the name. There's no joy in it. You're trying to extend beyond what you were created to be. You're trying to be a pretender, and that is an anxious business. You want to know where joy is found? coming under my name. And a revelation, you want to know what we read? This name above all names that Christ has given, especially in His resurrection and ascension, we're told in Philippians 2, this name is written on our foreheads. You see, He shares His glory with us. And that's why we're just... I'm telling you, you are going to want to be a curtain boy on that day of, of, of His great unveiling. You're going to want to be just as close as you can be to Him. And He's happy to take us there. Puts His name on us. Writes us into His story. That's why John, Elizabeth, and all these others are rejoicing at this. And I pray, I pray we would follow them into 2016. Lay it down. Turn from holding on to all the stuff, making your, making your, trying to make your name great, and come into His and in the joy of making His name great. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, we um, I just I can't believe that as we're trying to write you out of our story, you're writing us into yours. As we railed against you, get out of my life. You were saying on that cross, get back into mine. Jesus, you are amazing. Your grace overwhelms us. And yet still we can be suspicious. We can be suspicious that joy is found not in competing with you, but in surrendering. Please, I'm praying that you would let us, as we think about our lives, as we contemplate what you've called us to and the various things you've given us, we would with John and Elizabeth find joy in laying it all down, letting it be a part of your great story. It's in your name, the name above all names, the name you write upon our foreheads. That's it, Lord, joy. Joy for Christ is born. Lord, we, we, 
we ask that you would help us. You would help us to find our joy in, in making much of you. Help us to come alive as we die for you, Lord. And lay it all down. We thank you that we follow a Savior who doesn't speak to us from above, but came down and lifts us up to be with him where he is. We give you the glory and the praise. We find joy in, in, your, in the glory of your grace. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Amen.